Content warnings for this epilogue include vast bodies of water, heights, falling, death of loved ones, grief, romance, and complex and complicated relationships. Epilogues Part 1 Abiku Ishtar The year is 408 AT, Dragon 16, a year and a half after the stars came back. Green open water is a terror of beauty, a riverside town bisected by the black tongue, its rich brackish soil still teeming with a memory of crimson lightning. Once upon a cataclysm, green open water served as a nexus point where the boundary waters flowed into the icy tides of the Sigirni Sea. But now, the boundary waters are ankle-deep murk at their highest point, fanning out against the parched coral of the northern salt flats like a cup of spilled tea upon a desert bed. It's midnight, warm, the stars shining purple and divine in the dark sky overhead. The flats are blue and red from the cosmic light above, a perfect earthly reflection of such heavenly beauty. And Abiku Ishtar, you stand in the middle of the northern salt flats, the cottages of green open water on a dried up shoreline behind you. The smell of brine and death is thick in your nostrils. And at your sides are Oka and Shepard. The three of you can feel them, too. Unmei, to the far east, her presence like a mouthful of water in the parched weave. And Manaya to the south, filling the weave with warmth and rising tide. Abiku? The place is here. The time is now. How do you use your keeper power to attempt to call on your ancestors to your aid? Abiku <laughs> sits down, <laughs> takes a deep breath, and says, Now, I know it usually does not work like this, but I need to get two people this time. I will not keep them long, I promise. Uh, out loud, seemingly to the Raven Queen. And she... I think she begins to sing. And sorry, everyone, I also will not be singing. But <laughs> I think she begins to sing a song about a storm. A song about, like, the storm. A song about the, the storm of life. She does not think it is fair that this land is without its water. And I think being from the order gigantic mate she is from, she like feels this kinship to to uh, the storm gigantic mage ruler. And being connected to Shunyi like feels this connection to draconic mages and is trying to call on the leader is they use the word leader for draconic draconic mages so the leader of the blue draconic mages that feels like the water one uh, yeah the blue order yes <laughs> yeah yeah and she is like at the end of the song i do not mean to disturb you but i need your help 
please. Our home needs your help. Mm, yeah, and I think this song bursts out from your tongue and rolls out into the weave, suffusing it with your urgency, with your plea, with your prayer. And Oka, tell us, how do you use your blood magic to help, I think, unravel the ebb and flow of time to allow this to happen? Oka has been standing quietly behind Ibiku this whole time, and they untangle their hand from Shepard's uh, and put it down into this salty, parched earth where the ocean used to be. Uh, and their fingers touch down on the sigil that they've made that I think like comes out uh, that maybe Ibiku is like sitting in the center of, where they've left kind of like a blood trail in the sand and in the dirt. And the sigil is all marked out, uh, and it looks like a clock, I think, like a clock with eight central circles within it. Uh, and as their fingers press down into the earth, the blood begins to rise just a little bit, uh, like it's almost turning into rain going backwards, like back up, uh, as it gets drunk up by the weave. And everything seems to just kind of like melt into that new focus. Uh, and they stand there with their hands pressed into the earth, uh, behind Ibiku, supporting quietly. Mm, yeah, as you press your hands into that cracked, parched earth, you feel hard granules of salt rubbing against your skin, and Abiku, that smell of brine, thickens and thickens and thickens and presses up against the stench of death in your nostrils, even as you entreat your ancestors. And then there is a sensation of movement? Wind! I think a little bit of wind kicking up around both of you, like that magic that you had first awakened with, Abiku, breeze, movement, breath, causing these little eddies of salt, I think, to rise up out of the crack to dry, dehydrated soil. And these little crystals of salt begin to form the silhouettes of two people. The first is what appears to be a half tabaxi person and as the salt granules fill in detail we see like the fur of what appears to be a snow leopard like a brawny lean noble with tufts of white fur spotted with black peeking out from their elbows their jawline and their chest and the salt even cakes into form leather and cloth armor with this polished bronze pauldron on one shoulder and a spiked oar that they're carrying across their back and abiku you recognize them immediately as ruler Fiki of the Storm Kingdom. And simultaneously, also ribboning into existence from this dried-up brine, is a dwarven person with a clean-shaven face. They have this long, black, braided hair that's interwoven with these cloud-colored little nubbins of flowers, and this blue face paint daubs their chin, their forehead, and their cheeks, and their entire left arm as if ribbons into existence you see is made of bright blue fulgurite which is fossilized lightning uh, we see like a humerus a radius and ulna ribbon out and form made of bleached cerulean coral and Aviku, you would recognize this as prior the merciful of the blue order the leader of the blue order of draconic mages the two coolest NPCs that we're now seeing for the first and last time fossilized lightning are you yeah. fucking kidding me yeah i'm sorry i never had you bring that up in the 
Are you? It's all good. Oh my! I would have lost my shit as a GM if I made someone who had fossilized lightning as an arm, and I never got to bring it up. I'm glad I could give you this gift right here, right now. Thank you so much. Yeah, a final gift from you to me. Oh yeah. my god. I mean, Sorry. You, no, you're all good. I think both of you have seen their ghostly forms fighting on the battlefield of the second stranger war before. And you know that prior the merciful's arm can detach like a javelin and shoot forth like a, a bolt of lightning. <laughs> and that ruler Fiki uses the spiked ore to just uh, like hack and slash and like propel themselves across the battlefield like they're on uh, an ocean, even though they're on dry land. Uh, so these two badasses, <laughs> they're ghosts, they're echoes, ribbon into existence from this uh, parched, forgotten salt. How do the two of you respond to their presences now brimming in the weave? Wait, Apiku, you didn't tell me they were hot. And Oka starts sweating onto the ground as they're maintaining the uh, spell work behind you. All of my ancestors are hot. Sorry, I thought you got it by now. <laughs> um, Apiku will, I think, go up to them and... <laughs> So I'm coming up right now with how we greet each other from the kingdom. And I think it is like if a gentle breeze could feel like a bow. Mm. I like do that to both of them. Thank you for coming. I do not mean to disturb your rest. Yeah, Prior the Merciful draws a, a sharp, jagged, violent, powerful sigil in the air as a form of greeting, like a lightning bolt with their lightning arm and inclines their head once and uses their uh, empty hand to thump their chest as like the greeting from the Blue Order. And Ruler Fiki spins the ore and like plants it, spike side down into the ground. And even though this ore, which is made of salt and memory, seems almost incorporeal, there's a sound like a clap of thunder echoing across 10 thousand years to now reverberate into the present and both of these rulers when they speak their voices echo like they're in a great cavern at the end of a tunnel a thousand years away uh, but they also sound so full and proud and right here right now with the two of you both and ruler fiki says it is an honor and a pleasure are you ready ishtar well I've taken a year and a half to prepare, so I think so. Then let us begin what was always meant to be. And now, the first aspect of nature to move around all of you is wind. Gentle at first, like the echo, the suggestion of a breeze. And then faster, stronger, this zephyr mounting into gale force winds that howl and howl and howl in a cyclone around all of you. Next to move into existence is the water. Tiny droplets spinning out from this wind like sweat off the bodies of skilled dancers' droplets terraforming into ribbons, ribbons of water lashing in whip-like formations around you, spilling, splashing, surging forth from the howling wind and the dark, dark sky above you. A hurricane explodes from all of your bodies and then my friends salvation reigns upon andake you are drenched instantly 
all of you, and you can see this vertical tunnel of water and wind whirling around you, becoming impossibly thick, impossibly wide, filling the horizon from north to south, east to west, below and above. Uh, water starts brimming up from the ground and surging up to your waist, and then Shepard gestures their hand in a calm circle, and a bubble of air balloons around all of you as the ocean pours in. And then you all hear it, gurgling underneath the wind, bubbling above the roar of water. A song. The song. We see strands of Tungal's magic pulling forth from the salt crystal edges of these two rulers. Because, after all, my friends, ruler Fiki and Prior the Merciful remember Tungal, or at least they used to, before it was subsumed. And now that their ghostly forms are here reaching across time, they send some of Tungal's magic back to Endake. And this magic, this song, suffuses every gust of air, every drop of water, a vast, expansive melody with no beginning and no end, a whale song, an orca's call, a lover's dirge, a shimmering of light at the bottom of a chasm. And as the ocean froths and surges and rises around you, your air bubble, your pocket, ascends 10 feet, 20. 50, 80, 100, and then you explode out of the surface of the replenishing sea, and there is water everywhere. Water surging over the shoreline of green open water. Water rushing out to kiss its long-lost lover to the south. Water expanding endlessly toward its almost forgotten east. All of you float above the tides, watching them subsume miles and miles and miles of dried earth underneath a blanket of rolling, pitching, harmonizing blue. Here, in the court, at the place where life embraces death, and where the forgotten are remembered, all of you witness the birth of the singing seas. And as you float above the oceans, watching this water pour back to life, what feeling pours into your heart? Let's start with Oka. Oh, immense gratitude. Because I don't know if anyone else could have done it quite like this, save for Abiku Ishtar. And as Oka kind of funnels all of, like, through this sigil work, through this blood work, passing thousands of years worth of rain out of the magic i think something rises in them that is almost unfamiliar and a little embarrassing but now is the time and i think they like pick their hands up off of the ground uh, as we're floating and they run at a biku's back uh kind of yip and howl uh and leap into her arms for a massive hug uh yeah, Abiku is feel Abiku is like laughing and crying like that like hysteric happiness. And as Oka jumps into her arms, she looks down. Would you like to go for a swim? A uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I jump out of the air bubble <laughs> with Oka. Yeah. Uh, Shepard snaps their fingers and the air bubble bursts. <laughs> 
Yeah, and the two of you soar slash dive toward this rollicking, playful, surging series of waves. And I think as the two of you plunge into the water and as the water splashes up uh, on that, I think, explosion of foam and mirth and glee and gratitude and joy and tears and laughter, we fade to black. And we hold on that color. Black. A shimmer ripples through the surface of that black. And we pull back now to reveal the trunk of a hardy young black glass tree sapling. It's flanked on either side by more saplings, 12 feet tall now, a few starting to crest 13. And this copse of particularly glossy trees is nestled in the rolling valleys and hills of Kirtal. And Abiku, cupped within this orchard, you have built a brand new school. An institution of memory, of learning, of community and generosity. You teach the history of your people, so no one will ever become forgotten again. You teach martial forms and magic, the whispering of wind and the tuning of a bow. I think you even teach pottery. And somewhere beyond, you swear you can feel Laura's spirit smiling down upon you. Shrini is, of course, your ever-present, ever-eloquent companion and guide who shows young mages how to shift. And with time, with months and years, the skies themselves begin to fill with mages, flying amongst the stars, massive forms dancing together underneath open, shining swaths of Galtanger's light. These new titans, your protégés, your chosen descendants, learn to shift into both forms. You and Shrinyi make sure of it. You even invite your friends, new and old, to teach their lessons at your school. Oka is a common face amongst the visiting lecturers, as is Jaron, whose advanced copy of The History of the Second Stranger War, Premium Edition, uh, sits on the bookshelves of your classrooms. Even Toktowa Kagan comes, making herself the most common face amongst the visitors. Perhaps one could even say she's not a visitor at all. In fact, rumors have been flying amongst this year's students that the Kagan is hiding a ring in her quiver, waiting for the perfect moment to strike a bull's eye on a Biku Ishtar's heart. And when pressed about it, Shrini only smiles. Of course, your new life also centers around one individual in particular who is also a constant at this school, Dusty. Abiku, you have taken charge of the care of this young person who has seen far too much for their young not-life, for their not-age. In a kind of mirror reversal of how you once found yourself in Andake, you now teach Dusty how to read, how to write, how to fight, dance, sing, be gentle with animals, how to speak before striking, how to stand up for what he believes in, like your fathers did for you, like the good doctor and all of your friends did as well when you were first new to this world. You also teach Dusty how to mourn for their father and for all who were lost. 
Vasanti and Rev, of course, also visit quite frequently with Hana and Uwalani, and I think it brings you great joy to watch the Quirk siblings bicker and fight each other and explore new things and laugh together and cry together, to be together as children, like their father had always wished for them to be, unburdened. And Abiku, as the years pass at your academy, at your cottage, in your life with Shrini, as the saplings start to mature into full-grown black glass oaks, tell me, how does the time pass for you? What emotion brims in your chest as the years go on? It's a bitter happiness. She's so thankful to be here and to get this life she, she couldn't have gotten in her time. People were too blinded by war. It's the life she feels like her fathers wanted, the life they wanted for her, the life they wanted for themselves, the life she wanted for her people when she tried to end the war. And she feels so thankful she's getting it. But there's always that tang of like, I wish I could have done this sooner. There's so many people who didn't get it. And because of that, she tries to make every day count. She tries to make each lesson the best lesson for the, her students. She tries to make each date with Taktoa the best date they've ever had. She tries to make each dinner with Shuni the best meal she's had. It's hard because Biku Ishar cannot cook. This should not surprise anybody whatsoever. <laughs> But she's truly grateful for each day she gets. She doesn't go a single day without thanking the Raven Queen for everything. She doesn't go a single day without thanking her ancestors. She she spends the years happy and thankful and is determined to make sure that other people don't have to get, go two lifetimes before they get this. Mm. I really like that. And I think with you through all of that are your loved ones. And Shrini and Sun especially, I think the two people in Andake who understand intimately the kind of joy and grief, the special kind, right, that you deal with and you hold. And in those moments of solitude and loneliness and pain, they're there with you. You're never truly alone in that regard. And they carry forth your lessons as well. They put intention and goodwill and honesty and effort into every little thing they do, whether it's planting new shards of glass trees, whether it's coaching a student who doesn't quite understand how shifting works through the motions, or whether it's just opening up a book and reading a nursery rhyme to new children at the school who are interested in the history of Titans. And I think some years later, Actually, on the day of Hana's very first powerlifting competition hosted at your school, by the way, which so many people are in attendance for, um, I think while you are sitting on the sidelines waiting for the very first appearance of Hana against her biggest rival and Oka's youngest sister, Sanvaya, uh, I, think, <laughs> uh, I think you feel tears beginning to roll down your cheeks as you're sitting there and watching. And I think maybe this surprises you. Maybe it doesn't. Dusty is a little too busy cheering on his sister to notice in like a seat next to you. But Shrinyi, always by your side, leans over to you. And her silver eyes reflect the brimming gold in yours. 
and the cloud on her cheek from your love billows in the wind. And she looks at you and she smiles and you see her eyes are also full of tears. And she says, isn't this beautiful, Abiku? Isn't it so beautiful to be alive? Yes, it it is. I did not realize how not alive I was before. You know, when you think about where we came from. <laughs> I do know. That year in the chasm, I, I was just surviving. I wasn't living. Even when I got my memories back, and when I found you, and everything, it, it, even the seas and all of the things we have done, I didn't realize that that was just moving, you know? This is living. This, this is what, this is what people do. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's all I've ever wanted. For me, for Sun, for you, for all of our friends 10,000 years ago, and all of our friends now. I just want to sit here and watch two girls lift really heavy weights, and and that's living. Hmm. Do you think I could do that? I think I, I think you know it's. It would be is... extremely unfair if you competed in this, oh. Abiku. Oh. My love. Okay. Do they have like a super strong Titan category? We could start a new. We should we do a Titan new... category. We could start a new. I mean, there's enough now. We could. Some of them will be adults <laughs> soon. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Maybe we should start our own intramural powerlifting competition. I bet our students would kick Jaron's students' ass. Well, yes. Don't don't like a hundred percent. A hundred percent. And Shuni like laughs and like leans into you and snuggles in close to your shoulder as the two of you share this joke with each other. And like as your laughter dies down, she lets out a big sigh. And that tear finally spills from her eyes and rolls down her cheek and nestles into the crook of her neck. <sighs> I'm so happy, Abiku. I'm so happy that this... This is how our story goes. You know... Me too. I... I have said this a lot of times now, but... I think I know why I came back. Oh, and I know I've heard it a lot of times, but say it one more time for me, my love. Well, my name is Abiku Ishtar, and I came back to love this world 